Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. So in 2020, a lot of things got canceled, as you know, and one of the things I missed most that got canceled in 2020 was peewee football. And I loved coaching peewee football, my kids' peewee football team, because, uh, because it's really an opportunity to be a mentor to many kids, to be a godly influence, and when you're not, to repent and be a godly influence that way to the kids. Um, but one of the things I also really enjoy about coaching peewee football is an opportunity to teach kids the fundamentals. So, for example, uh, when, you, when you have a new running back, you, just, you find the fastest kid on the team, right? And you make him a running back. And you have to teach him everything that it means to be a running back and what you're supposed to do as a running back. And so you teach him how far to line up behind the quarterback to kind of rest your hand on your knees, and that's how you prepare for it. And then when the, when the quarterback says hike, you don't run to the quarterback and to the hole. You run straight to the hole. And when you go to receive the football, you put the elbow that is closest to the quarterback up so that if you go like this, it doesn't hit there and fall out and things like that. And so you, you grab the ball, you secure it, you run through the hole, and then if you get through the hole, you, you make a move to get to the outside, and then you switch the ball to your outside arm. And so you're teaching the running back all these things to do. But then there is the one thing that they must do above all things. Does anybody know what the running back must do above all things? What, what's that? Not fumble. That's right. Hold on to the ball. Above all, hold on to the ball. Because it doesn't matter if you go to the right hole or not. It doesn't matter if you run all the way to the touchdown or not, if you don't hold on to the ball. And so you have to do all these things, and these, all these things are very, very important. But above all, hold on to the ball, right? In today's passage, God tells us to do something above all. There's many important things that, that, that Christians are called to do. But in today's passage, God says, above all, do this one thing. Above all. All the other things are very, very important. But above all, don't fumble the ball. Above all, do this one thing. What is this one thing? Look at with me, if you would, 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 8 through 11. It is page 1016 in the Red Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there are some located in the back. Feel free to grab one. Page 1016 in the Red Bible. Before we dig in, let's pray. Lord God, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you arrange our priorities, that you teach us that what we should be about above all in 2021. And so help us, Lord, to hear your priority, to know and understand your priority, but then also to live out your priority because it is for our best good and for your glory. And so help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, 
keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as the one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as the one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Did you get it? Peter says, above all, keep loving one another. I don't think Peter is saying this is more important than loving God, but what he's saying is on a, on a horizontal dimension, above all, Christians in the church, keep on, keep on loving one another. You see, for the first recipients of this letter, they were going through very difficult times, not because of a pandemic, but because of persecution. Christians were being insulted. They were being slandered, accused of wrongdoing. They were beaten. They were socially ostracized. And they were the objects of mob violence. And the thing is, is when life gets difficult, when the hits start coming, that's when we tend to fumble the football. That's when we tend to lash out at others. That's when we tend to not love one another. 2020 was a difficult year in many ways. And while it probably was not as difficult as the first recipients of 1 Peter, it was still a difficult year. Racial tension reached a boiling point in our country and everyone had an opinion on how bad racism is and what we should do or not do about it. A worldwide pandemic broke out and disrupted many of our patterns of comfort, making many people very angry. On top of this, we had a presidential election that was as unfriendly and contentious as I can remember in my lifetime. And so the question is, in this difficult atmosphere, how does God say we should respond as the church? How should we respond as Christians? And 1 Peter 4.8 tells us very clearly, above all, keep loving one another, even when you don't want to, even when you want to hit the eject button, even when you are sure that you are right and everybody else is wrong, keep loving one another. Now, this is easy to understand, but impossible to practice on our own strength. And so what does this look like? First, we see that God calls us to love earnestly. Uh, chapter 4 of 1 Peter starts with an exhortation to no longer live for sinful human passions, but to live for the will of God. And then in verse 7, if you look there with me, verse 7 is a connecting verse. And it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Peter is putting our daily actions in an eternal perspective, reminding us that the end of all things, the coming of Christ, is at hand. 
And, and by saying this, Peter is not saying Jesus is coming tomorrow. I mean, this was written 2,000 years ago. But what Peter is reminding us of is that every day we are closely, closer to the second coming of Christ than we were the day before. We can say this right now. Today, we're closer to the second coming of Christ than ever before in human history. And so Peter is putting us in this eternal mind frame saying, what then is important? What should be our priority? What should we be about with this eternal view? And he says in verse 7, to be self-controlled and sober-minded. In the first six verses, he's explaining what this means in our personal lives and putting off sin. But then in the passage that we have today, he's explaining it in the context of relationships within the church. And in verse 8, he starts by saying, above all, keep loving one another earnestly or fervently could be another translation of it. It's the image, this, this word is used of, of athletics, of, of when a runner is sticking out their chest for the finish line or when that horse is, is picking up for the final burst of speed before the finish line. He's saying, listen, the finish line is coming. Exert all of your effort and energy towards this to love one another with fervency and earnestness. And then he says something very interesting, something that almost seems unbiblical to a certain extent. He says, love covers a multitude of sins. When I was going through this passage with my small group many years ago, uh, I asked the question, what does this mean lovers, love comes, covers over a multitude of sins? And we, we thought and we processed and we didn't come to a good answer. I mean, this is a phrase that we are pretty accustomed to, I think. Love covers over a multitude of sins. But we are a little bit confused at what it means. Because we, we know that it cannot mean that love ignores sin. Uh, because ignoring sin isn't loving. It, it, sin is always self-destructive. If we love someone, we're going to talk to them about it, right? And so it doesn't mean that love ignores sin or it minimizes sin or any of those things. And so what does it mean that love covers over a multitude of sins. Well, what it means is that despite sin, love keeps us together. It holds us together. Love covering over a multitude of sins means that as far as we can control, we refuse to let sin have the last word in our relationships here at Jacobswell Church. It means that as far as we can control, we refuse to let sin stand in the way of our relationships. That we refuse to let sin hinder the intimacy in our relationships. That we refuse to let sin be a barrier in our relationships because love covers all of these things and binds us together. You know, you can think of it in, in a copycat phrase. I don't know if you've ever heard the term, chocolate covers over a multitude of sins. Have you ever heard that term? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But, but what it's saying is, okay, this cookie, it might be a little dry, it might be a little brittle, it may not be the, the best cookie in the world, but, but when it's covered in chocolate, <laughs> it covers over a multitude of sins. It holds it together. It's still delicious. Or a strawberry, my favorite, chocolate-covered strawberry, yeah, it might be a little bit bruised, but it's covered in chocolate. It covers over a multitude of sins. And so does your love for others at Jacob's Well Church cover over their sins? Again, it's not that we ignore sin or minimize sin, but when we believe others are in sin or when they have sinned against us, 
Do you distance yourself from them? Maybe because they're not Republican enough or Democratic enough or a mask wearer or an anti-mask wearer. Maybe because they are too passionate about racial reconciliation or not passionate enough about racial reconciliation. Maybe it's because they snubbed us or said something that hurt us. Do you allow those sins to have the last word? Or does love cover over a multitude of sin? You see, we believe others are, when we believe others are in sin or when they're wrong, it gives us a unique opportunity to practice the gospel. Because at the cross, the ultimate demonstration of earnest love covering over a multitude of sins. Because at the cross, Jesus did not minimize our sins or dismiss our sins, but rather he took on our sins. And he paid for our sins in full. For what purpose? To draw us closer to him, not to distance ourselves from him. You see, any Bears fan can love another Bears fan. Any Nazi can love another Nazi. We love people who are like us for better, for worse. But the gospel allows us to love people who are not like us. It allows us to love people with a different opinion than us, with people who disagree with us. To above all, keep loving one another earnestly because true love, unconditional love, gospel love covers over a multitude of sins. So he first calls us to love earnestly. Secondly, he commands us to love actively. Uh, It is important to tell one another that you love one another. I've been trying to do that more in this season to tell people that I love them. But talk is cheap to a certain extent. Our love must be active. 1 John 3 says, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now here's the cool thing in 1 Peter is that God equips and empowers his saints to love one another actively, not just in word, but in deed also. Look at verse nine with me. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is not just a fruit of the spirit for some, but hospitality is actually a command for all of God's people. In Hebrews 13, it says, do not neglect showing hospitality to strangers. Romans 12 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Matter of fact, one of the qualifications for elder is that they would be hospitable. Now, to be fair, in Peter's day, hospitality was not just a nicety. It was essential to survival because staying at the inn was a bit dangerous. There were unsavory characters there. And so if a brother or sister in Christ was traveling through town, you were to show them hospitality and take them into your house. And maybe we'll be called to do the same if someone, if a brother or sister in Christ is in a rough spot, to take them into our house for a season. But for us, I think hospitality looks more like welcoming the sojourner who comes into church. Or maybe it's inviting someone into our house who, who, who maybe we're not good friends with. Someone who is needy emotionally or spiritually or financially. In Luke 14, Jesus says, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. He says, but when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, in other words, the needy, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You know, what's so interesting is that the word hospitality in the Bible actually means love of strangers. 
And what Jesus is saying is that Christian hospitality is not when you have your friends over. Christian hospitality is when you have the needy over. Not just those of the same opinion, but those of a different opinion. Not just those who give you energy, but those who might suck the energy out of you. Peter goes on and he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The reality is, is that hospitality is a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of time as you make food, as you have people over. It's a sacrifice of of money as you purchase food. It's a sacrifice of energy as you maybe have to carry on conversations. And he says, listen, do this without grumbling because through this hospitality, you are showing the love of God in Christ. And so serving includes hospitality, but also goes far beyond hospitality. Verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see, each of us have received, if you are a Christian, if you're in Christ, if you are born again, you have received a gift from God. Um, Not a new pony, not a wallet, but you have received a spiritual gift. God has gifted you in a way. Uh, And he lists some of them here. There are many throughout scripture. Administration is a gift. So is service and teaching, discernment, faith, wisdom, evangelism. All of these are, are spiritual gifts that God gives to his people. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, a good way to find out is to ask other people, what has God gifted you at? Or to try things out and see what comes easy and natural to you. The point is every Christian without exception has been given a spiritual gift. And verse 10 continues and it says, as each has received a gift, and this is so important, these two words are so important, use it, (laughs) use it. Use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's, as good stewards of God's varied gifts. God has not given you all the gifts, but he has given you gifts for this very purpose, to serve one another. You know, my family has recently gotten to some of those Avenger movies, which has all of these superheroes with superpowers. So there's Captain America, who has superpower strength and agility and ability to heal. There's Black Panther, who has super speed and martial arts techniques and things like that. There's Wolverine, there's the Hulk, there's Spider-Man, there's Iron Man, there's Ant-Man. And each of these have their own superpowers that are given to themselves. Sorry, superpowers that are given to them. Now, imagine if they took those superpowers and hoarded them to themselves. Imagine if they only used those superpowers for their own gain. I mean, I think the Hulk could have a really good show on HGTV. He'd be great at Demolition Day, you know, just pounding out walls. He could earn lots of money doing that. Or Spider-Man. Spider-Man could have a great show in Vegas and earn tons of money. But no one would want to make a movie about that. Because we're called for something greater. We're called not just to use our gifts for our own self and our own promotion and our own net worth. We are called to use our gifts for others. God has given us gifts to give it away to those sitting in the seats right around you. If you are in Christ, you have been given a superpower by God called a spiritual gift. It may not be flashy. It may not even be public, but it has been given to you to serve the body of Christ, the church. Peter continues in verse 11 saying, whoever speaks as one who speaks 
oracles of God. This is another spiritual gift, talking about exhortation, preaching, teaching, wisdom, evangelism. What he's saying is that your teaching must be filled with the oracles of God, not the oracles of men. In other words, it must be filled with the word of God. The word of God must be take primacy in your teaching. That's why here at Jacob's Well Church, we teach from the Bible week in and week out. If you come here any Sunday, you will find out we will teach from the Bible. If you go to one of our community groups, you will see they are studying the Bible. It's because the oracles of God must fill all of our teaching. Verse 11 continues. He says, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And so let me ask you, when you are serving in the church, whether it be handing out bulletins, running PowerPoint, doing, you know, live stream, or, 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 or simply just having someone over for dinner, or whatever way, if you're serving in any capacity, how do you know if you are doing it in your strength or God's strength? Well, I think a hint came to us earlier in this passage. In verse 9, do you serve with grumbling? Do you grumble in your heart? I'm sorry, this hits way too close to home for me. But do you grumble when you do the service of God for other people? You see, selfish, sinful people serving sacrificially with joy and delight and honor displays the power of God within us. I mean, there's the only thing that can explain how we can serve others sacrificially without grumbling is if God is real and if God is working in the lives of selfish, grumbling people. And so that's how we know if, if we're depending on God's strength is if we serve joyfully and sacrificially at the same time. And so if you're here looking to apply this passage today, again, there is an opportunity on the connection card. Sign up for places to serve, but maybe it doesn't even have to be that, that, that planned out. Maybe it's just simply loving people as they come through the door and talking to them and caring for them. And so what is God's New Year's resolution for you? To keep one loving one another in this church earnestly to keep loving one another in this church actively, and finally, to keep loving one another purposefully. Paul continues, excuse me, Peter continues in 11, and he says, in order that in everything, meaning all things, including your earnest and active love for one another, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. What does it mean that God will be glorified through our actions. Well, we've talked about this before. It doesn't mean that we add to God's glory as if he's not already infinitely glorious. What it means is that we reveal God's glory to others. Verse 11 says that we can reveal God's glory in everything. And we do this through Jesus Christ. Let me give you an example. A few years ago, uh, when the Zydells lived in their old house, I helped them move a piano from their neighbor's house over to their house. And later that evening, we came back by their house and, and their, their daughter, uh, who, was, who was a lot younger at that time, started playing on the piano and she was playing Silent Night. And it was just amazing how good she was playing. And as she was playing the song Silent Night, when it finished and we applauded, my wife's first response was, who is your teacher? Your teacher must be so good. Now, our, her teacher was a friend of ours. But the, but the point is, is, that, is that her playing the piano beautifully revealed the glory of another. 
or revealed the glory of the teacher, who's not only a good piano player herself, but who was able to teach this young little child how to play the piano in an amazing way. One more example. I know I'm known for my singing abilities here, um, or lack of it. But if I got up and I started singing like Luke Combs or Adam Levine or whoever your favorite singer is, your mind would be blown away. And you would say, who's your voice coach? Who's your teacher? Because this would point to the glory of another. You see, sin and selfishness and grumbling and complaining is so pervasive in our lives and in our hearts that when we unconditionally and earnestly love people in our church with different opinions, when we use our gifts actively without grumbling to build up the kingdom of Christ, it shows the glory of another, the glory of the one who is able to work in us and through us. It continues and says, to him, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Why is our purpose in life God's glory? Why is it not our glory? Well, it's because to God alone belongs all the glory. And if we are seeking glory for ourselves, we are robbing the glory that belongs to God because all of the gifts that we have, all of the power we have to carry out those gifts are given, as this passage says, by God's varied grace. And so this year, you will get paid a compliment probably. Someone will say, oh, you are a very good cook, to which you can respond, glory be to God, to give God the glory because he is the one who gave you the gift to cook. And if you did it with a good heart, he is the one who gave you that good heart to do it with. If if someone says, you are a great singer, which happens to me all the time, you say, glory be to God. To God be the glory. Because he is the one who gives gifts to men and the power to carry them out with a loving heart. Let me end with this. In the book, The Grace of Giving, Stephen Olford tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution named Peter Miller, who lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. And Peter was actually a friend of George Washington. Well, in Ephrata also lived a man named Michael Whitman. And it just describes him as an evil-minded sort of man. And he did everything he could to oppose and humiliate Pastor Peter Miller. Well, one day, uh, Michael Whitman, this evil man, was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. And Pastor Peter Miller traveled 70 miles on foot. That would be from like here to Oshkosh, if you could imagine walking that far. He traveled that far not to watch Whitman die, but to plead for his life. And George Washington said to him, he said, no, Peter, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. To which Peter responded, my friend, (laughs) he's the bitterest enemy I have. What, cried Washington? You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts the matter in a different light and I will grant 
the pardon. Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back home to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. Christian, God's New Year's resolution for you is not a normal love, but a radical love, an out-of-this-world love, a gospel love. Because it was not when we were friends of God, but enemies of God, that Christ came. Not 70 miles, but from heaven to earth. And he did this because he loved you, a traitor of God. He loved you earnestly and fervently, not only in word, but also in deed as he actively went to the cross and took on your sins and my sins and paid for them on full so that God would be glorified, not just through his just judgment, but through his mercy and grace upon you and me. In Luke 6, Jesus says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. But love your enemies and do good. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Churchmen and churchwomen, we have a high calling. Above all, don't fumble the football. Don't stop loving one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. For love covers over a multitude of sins. Above all, keep on loving one another actively, using your gifts to minister to one another. And above all, keep loving one another purposefully. That in all things, God might be glorified. Let's pray. Lord, we come today confessing that loving our enemy does not come naturally to us. That everything in our flesh pushes back against loving our enemy. And so we are so needy of your grace, so needy of your mercy. We are so needy of a reminder that you loved us when we were your enemy and you made us your friend, God. Help us, Lord Jesus, this year to love those that we see as unlovely and to do it without grumbling. Oh Lord, we need your help. And we know you are faithful to give it if we ask. And so, Lord, we pray, help us to love one another as you have loved us, that the world might see the glory of our Redeemer. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen.